Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast about those New Hampshire bills that don't make the news, but could still impact your car registration fee or the volume of your neighbor's parties or whether your employer pays for unused vacation days, something I know we all like around COVID-19 and any other number of issues that slip under the radar but are still worth debating. There's hundreds of bills that make their way through the New Hampshire legislature each year. And this podcast is all about teasing those out, giving you the pros and cons and letting you know how to make your voice heard in this awesome granite state democracy. I'm Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. And I'm Mike Dunbar, the Content Editor for Citizens Count. Mike, today I'm going to start by asking, what do Henry David Thoreau and Harry Potter have in common? All right. Well, there's Walden. There's the cupboard under the stairs. They both don't seem to mind confined places. (laughs) Yes, I'm going for confined little tiny living spaces. Harry Potter lived in a cupboard under the stairs, which I imagine was similar to the, what was it, 10 foot by 15 foot cabin Henry David Thoreau lived in. Um, Or my first first place after college, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yes. Tiny houses. We are talking today about tiny houses and particularly the legalization of tiny houses, because even though they're technically not illegal, there's a lot of zoning laws and building codes that get in the way of building them or putting them anywhere or even driving them on the highway. This year, there's three New Hampshire representatives. Two Republicans, one Democrat, who are sponsoring HB 588. This bill would require towns to allow standalone tiny houses anywhere they allow single family homes. And then it adds a bunch of other regulations and definitions related to tiny houses. So let's start by defining what is a tiny house? What's the big deal? Right. So right now, there's actually not a agreed upon legal definition for a tiny house, but they're usually between 100 to, say, 400 square feet. Uh, A tiny house can sit on a foundation or it can be on a trailer. Uh, Some tiny houses are equipped with full kitchens and plumbing, while others are designed to live off-grid and have composting toilets and all that good stuff. Uh, Good luck. They're popular with people (laughs) looking to save money, save the environment, or save themselves from a zombie apocalypse. I have to admit, there is something charming about the idea of I can pick up my home, attach it to my car, and drive away from any emergency or to a scenic place and set it up. Yeah. When I was first in college, I remember I went through a phase of being obsessed with tiny houses because probably I was encountering how expensive it is to be to live as an adult. <laughs> so I had this dream of, you know, my my little cottage and I I'd just park it in my parents' driveway since I can't afford my own house. Well, that might have been a problem depending on uh, what town your parents lived in. So many towns, counties, even states have zoning laws or building codes that require uh, houses to have a minimum square footage, right? So uh, tiny houses on wheels might be categorized as RVs, which are unsuitable for year-round living. Yeah. And in New Hampshire, there's sort of like there's some places where they don't have really strict zoning or building codes or anything like that. But there's also a state law call and it's about detached accessory dwelling units, which sometimes covers tiny houses as well. Towns can choose to allow these accessory dwelling units called ADUs, which think of it like an in-law apartment or that guest house. And so towns can choose to allow those next to regular homes, but not every town opts in. And some towns still have minimum dimension requirements that block tiny homes. They'll say it needs to be, for example, maybe at least 400 square feet and have full plumbing hookups. Right. And a classic example of this is uh, Brianna O'Brien 
Um, and she became sort of the poster child for this whole issue uh, in New Hampshire, the tiny house movement, after she tried to live in a tiny house on her parents' property. Um, the Zoning Board of Adjustment uh, in her town denied her occupancy permit for a few reasons, uh, including that the tiny house didn't meet the town's definition of a detached accessory dwelling unit, uh, and she had to abandon her poor little tiny house. Yeah, it's, it's a sad story because she was so passionate about it, and I believe she was living in Hampton Falls, which is a beautiful and pretty expensive town to live in. Mm -hmm. So this was one of those stories that gained a lot of attention. And now you have HB 588, which is looking at what are the barriers here? How can we open the doors to tiny houses? And the most controversial part of the bill is that it would require towns to allow standalone tiny houses anywhere they allow single family homes. So if you had someone buy a lot that would allow a regular size house, they could choose to do their little 300 square foot on a foundation. The bill also says that if towns allow ADUs, those accessory dwelling units, they have to allow tiny houses under the same terms. Then the bill goes on with various other requirements for tiny houses. So they have to follow fire codes. You have to register and inspect the trailers. And they either need to have a self-contained water system or be hooked up to a water or septic system, something like that. So you can't have a situation where someone is basically (laughs) using a bucket, let's say, instead of a toilet (laughs) and just throwing it into a creek. That would that would definitely not be that doesn't count as a composting bill. toilet. I don't really know what the no. difference is, to be honest, nor do I want to. I mean, to. I, yeah, it's one of those issues that probably, like, is worth researching and very environmentally friendly, but when you first hear about it, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So, <laughs> yeah. It's a, so this bill is actually a repeat of one from last year that died during the coronavirus shutdown. That bill was SB 482, and previous to that, there was a study commission on the whole issue. So this has been brewing for quite a few years. So, Anna, why does New Hampshire need tiny houses? Because we all need to stop buying crap from Amazon. Like the, the empty boxes alone wouldn't fit in a tiny house. So that would that would help us. And probably mm. the empty boxes in my house right now could probably build their own tiny house. That OK, so that's fair. Um, not the <laughs> argument that necessarily comes up in most legislative debates, but fair. No, no, that's just probably my personal argument. New Hampshire <laughs> has a huge affordable housing issue and, and actually just a housing shortage, period, whether or not it's affordable. So I pulled up. There's lots of numbers on this. I looked at the new de- November, December 2020 housing market snapshot from New Hampshire Housing. And according to them, the median sale price for a home in New Hampshire increased 17% over just the last year. So Mm. there's less than one month supply of homes for sale under 300,000. And New Hampshire probably needs about 20,000 more houses to meet the demand of people moving around the state and moving into the state. And then that doesn't even mention rent. So the median gross rent increased 5% from last year to about $1,400. And there's only a 1.8% vacancy rate. This is extremely tight. And I know from my personal experience this past year, I was starting to think, all right, I have my condo, but I kind of like some outdoor space, especially coronavirus. We're one bedroom. So my office is just in the middle of the living room. And it is, it's insane. Houses are being snapped up within one week of going on the market. They're getting way over asking price. It's, it's really frustrating. And I'm honestly, I'm in a fortunate position where I do own a condo. Like, I can't imagine what it must be like for someone renting and just seeing their rent go up and up and up. And they can't so they can't even save for a down payment. Whereas the tiny house, only 15,000 to 100,000 typically to get yourself completely set up. And you save on energy bills like it's much smaller to heat and you don't have to worry about hooking it up to something necessarily. 
Right, right. Uh, you know, a smaller space takes up uh, less energy to heat and power, and so tiny homes have a smaller environmental footprint, too. So if you're somebody who's environmentally conscious, that's sort of an added benefit as well. Um, you know, maybe if New Hampshire welcomes tiny houses, it'll attract young, green-minded workers. We, we've talked before about how uh, New Hampshire's in need of uh, more young folks in the workforce. And uh, there's, there's definitely some good arguments for, uh, for why we might want to follow this route. We also have to face the reality that a lot of people are already living in tiny houses under the radar. And even when we're talking about Brianna O'Brien from the beginning of this episode, she originally didn't approach her town because she knew that there might be problems. Tiny house people a lot of times say, all right, if you don't want to get kicked out, you should just like try to go on your little piece of land and (laughs) not make anybody angry and they'll just kind of like not see you. So HB 588 would let people legally join their communities and pay taxes, be contributing members. Right. And I'm sure that those towns would be happy to get any of that extra tax revenue. Uh, Plus, it's probably safer if these people have to go through at least some sort of inspection process. Uh, There are definitely some scary stories about uh, unsafe tiny houses. So yeah, I saw uh, some headlines, right? Something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, folks probably recall uh, the headlines a little while back uh, about that, that uh, spot in Peterborough that was a um, a tiny house community uh, and they got shut down and reportedly lacked proper heat, water, and some cases even had holes in the floors and roofs. So, um, you know, you really don't want to have these... uh, these houses that are sort of in the shadows without having to get uh, proper inspections and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And to be, and to be clear, like that guy, I think if I remember correctly, it was, he sort of came on the radar because he wanted to expand and then the town came in and they were like, Holy crap, you're just like running extension cords between houses. This is, Mm -hmm. we, we need to get people out now. This is, this is not safe. And we are getting into the cons now. You know, if New Hampshire has an affordable housing problem, do we actually want to respond by having people live in shoeboxes? And I'm not saying that a tiny house is necessarily a crappy shoebox, right? It can be super safe, green, simple living. But there's also a reason why we came up with minimum sizes and building codes. I think back to some of those crazy pictures you'll see from, I don't know, like around the Industrial Revolution, right, where you have people packed on top of each other in tenements and the only space you have is this tiny bunk. You know, maybe we don't want to open the door for that sort of living again. Right. We, We only want tiny houses to be the Pinterest living lifestyle, (laughs) not the uh, tenement house lifestyle. Um, And they're evolving building codes for tiny houses, uh, but there's still ambiguity in some areas like safety standards for anchoring tiny houses on wheels. Uh, There is HB 588, uh, which requires tiny houses on wheels to have a, quote, seal from a third party inspection company authorized to provide such certification for tiny homes or recreational vehicles. Um, But there's no guarantee that companies, the company's standards is are going to perfectly match what the town thinks those standards should be. Right. And New Hampshire has a huge tradition of local control at the town and city level. 
So if we're, you know, whether we're talking lot lines or school funding or rather school curriculum and then how much the local town wants to kick in to fund schools like local control, local, local. You hear it all the time in New Hampshire. And so this bill would force towns to accept tiny houses on a certain level. So local control advocates argue, all right, if this is such a great idea, then towns and cities should be able to reach that conclusion on their own. And, you know, like through the accessory dwelling unit law or something like that, you know, that they can make it happen. Right. Yeah. And I know that uh, some legislators at bill hearings have also worried about whether tiny houses could lower their neighbor's property values. Yeah. So that's the classic trope of you buy a beautiful, you buy or build a beautiful home. Then someone buys a lot across the street and they want to set up a little campground of of tiny houses. And Mm -hmm. you, you know, would that affect your property values? Hard to know if it would or not. Right. Because this is sort of a theoretical, hypothetical scenario right now. New Hampshire doesn't have a booming tiny house community. So we don't know. Would it be the 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 Pinterest tiny houses, <laughs> as you said, or would it be kind of, you know, more like people are desperately living in these tiny houses because New Hampshire isn't providing them affordable housing. So, all right. And oh, and related to that, there's the challenge of property taxes, because the closest thing we have right now to tiny homes would be manufactured homes and RV camps. Both of these are notorious for presenting tax challenges for local officials. People are arguing about whether it's them or the landowner who should be paying RVs, maybe aren't reported that they're parked somewhere and that or they'll just drive away. And I was reading some about last year's bill hearings and it does occasionally come up the concern that people will just kind of drive their tiny house away and then never pay taxes. So that's, you know, it's it, it's another complexity. It's another layer that local officials are concerned about. Right. Yeah. And we should also point out that there are plenty of other bills aimed at the affordable housing issue this year besides this one. So, uh, for example, Governor Sununu recently threw his support behind HB 586. Uh, that's a long bill that modifies various processes and tax credits to encourage the work, uh, encourage workforce housing. Uh, other legislators are looking for a big deposit into the affordable housing fund as part of this year's state budget. And other proposals look to increase the eligibility for property tax breaks or modify the zoning appeals process. Of As always, you can see all these proposals on the Citizens Count Affordable Housing and Property Rights topic page on our website, citizenscount.org. Uh, but if I'm a tiny house aficionado or I'm concerned about my town being forced to accept tiny houses... What should I do, Anna? HB 588, that's the bill that we're talking about this episode. And it does not yet have a public hearing scheduled. So that will be coming up at the future. We'll try to keep you guys in the loop. Because here's the great thing about bill hearings. that Every bill has to have a public hearing in New Hampshire. And anyone can testify at a public hearing. They're also, because of coronavirus, completely virtual this year. So you can sign up and participate from your couch, from the backseat of your car near a Wi-Fi hotspot, from the break room at work, if you can get people to stay out of it while you're talking. (laughs) And I definitely encourage people to chime in because the fact is in New Hampshire, as we talk about a theme of this podcast, tons of legislators, not tons of staff, tons of bills, public input can be really influential and informative for legislators. So you can visit the bills page on on our Citizens Count website to find a list of all 2021 bills, not just HB 588. We also have a tutorial linked from that page on how to testify at virtual hearings. 
All right, everybody. Now it's time for our weekly segment, my favorite, only in New Hampshire, because the New Hampshire legislature has plenty of fun facts. Mike, what do you have for us today? All right. So this is one of my favorites from a little while back. New Hampshire has a law against chicken trespassing. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Only in New Hampshire. So oh, uh, man, we're talking those, about RSA 635, Section 3, the Trespassing Stock or Domestic Fowl Law. <laughs> oh, man. So I mean, this was, yeah. It's Sorry, sorry. Just chicken, chicken trespassing. I just have to like dwell on that for a second. Definitely have an image of a chicken in a trench coat that's doing like a peeping Tom routine, but I'm pretty sure that's not what this is about. Exactly. So, all right. So this was passed in 2018. Uh, and in general, you don't want uh, livestock like cows eating your neighbor's grass, obviously. So there was already this law in place about that, but the law didn't mention chickens. Uh, and that started becoming a problem because of the sort of backyard chicken boom that we've experienced. Now, of course, there was pushback from free-range chicken enthusiasts who thought that it kind of defeats the purpose if the chickens can't do a little trespassing. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Anna, there's been more than one time during this pandemic I thought it would be pretty awesome to start a backyard chicken coop. Uh, you know, one one less trip to the grocery store to get those uh, farm-fresh eggs, you know. I uh, don't know what the neighbors would think, though. Well... Two thoughts on this. The first thing is I have to say my I have a friend, Rich, who has his own chickens and those are the best eggs I have ever had in my entire life. Mm. You'll even get like the double yolk. But I will also say I can appreciate people who think that it's a problem. One week after I moved into my Manchester condo, like a mile from downtown, I was entering the building and there was just a chicken wandering around. To this day, <laughs> I have no idea where this chicken came from. And I am in full city. The only grass is like this tiny strip in our parking lot. So I apologize to that chicken now. I was just so flabbergasted that I just got in the elevator. I was like... I don't know, bro, you're lost. And then I, and then I just <laughs> left the chicken behind. So hopefully, shout out to that chicken. Hopefully the chicken did not get a ticket for trespassing. I was going to say, was know. this before 2018? Cause, oh, it was pre-2018. So yeah, you're okay. right. The chicken definitely, you know, he was taking advantage of this. You he know, was well within his rights. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He was like, you know what? It's, it's I'm not a cow. It, it doesn't say anything about chickens. I'm free to go where I please. So, mm -hmm. you know, New Hampshire, only in New Hampshire. All right, that wraps it up for our episode today. You can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd also like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting this podcast. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar, my co-host. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be a part of what makes New Hampshire by the people, for the people. 